I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Martin Riley, the big Sam of the podcast. I'm clearly so much better than Pep, Klopp and Arteta. I'm joined today by the lowest of low blocks of the podcast, Dan Holsworth. You want our defensive line, how low? And finally, I'm joined by the Erling Haaland performance of the podcast, all we have to do is mark him closely, and he'll miss a load of big chances. It's Jacob Stabridge. How are you doing today, Jacob? Well, that's probably the most apt description of me as a football player that I've ever been given on this podcast. Like, don't ever put me in your team, anyone who's uh, out there scouting. I have no footballing ability at all. Um, but I'm very well, Martin. It's it's really lovely to be back. And uh, and how are you? I'm I'm doing great. I'm, I'm I'm very glad to have you on. I've been looking forward to doing a pub with you for a while, and uh, you've had a lot of things going on outside of, of this. Mm. So we don't we don't mind you being away, but it's fabulous to have you back. Yeah. Um. Obviously, you've been you've been listening to us recently. We've been doing a bit of a thing about eating what food you've been eating. So have you eaten well today? I eaten all right. Not not. I was going to say not too much out of the ordinary, but I I've started um like making burgers. Uh, n- not too adventurous yet. Like tried like infusing them with cheese and stuff but not experimented enough with like other like seasonings and stuff as as I would like to just yet but that that, that is going okay uh, and apart from that not not really much else that's interesting no, that's good a good homemade burger is is very very good and I, you can't go a bit wrong with that um how about you Dan how are you doing today I'm pretty good, mate. Pretty good. Um, nothing interesting on the food front. Just had a boring chicken stir fry. But I've been football coaching tonight. First Falcons under 12. So, you know, so that's been my night. So I'm, re- I'm fresh in from coaching and I'm all sweaty and ready to podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we'd like to hear. Um, myself, I've had just a quick frozen pizza because I don't, I don't have time to do much more than that. But it was good. And other things in my life, we've got a new kitten. Oh. And, uh, yeah, he's about 12 weeks old. Um, we've named him Ivar after Ivar the Boneless from the Vikings TV series, if you've watched it. And obviously the real life Viking that he's based on. Um, so yes, um, he is a monster. So if there's any, 
you're hearing meows or me suddenly yelping in pain, it's because he'd attacked my foot or some other part of my oh, body. Oh, one of those cats. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that's what all kittens, in my experience, just love attacking you. Unless, unless maybe I'm just something that kittens like to bite. <laughs> Possible. I might taste good, who knows. But anyway, we're not here to talk about my kitten. We're here to talk about Leeds United. Um, so well, I'll go into a quick summary of the Man City game. Uh, Leeds saw a change of structure being utilised, with a 4-5-1 or 4-2-3-1 structure being favoured, depending on who was in possession or out of it. Man City dominated possession throughout the match, with Leeds being happy to allow them to keep hold of the ball, only looking to attack on the counter. Man City took a little while to really threaten the Leeds goal, with the best chance coming in the 17th minute when Erling Haaland tried to score, but it was stopped by Joel Robles, which was followed a few minutes later by Gundogan opening the scoring, with a finish from the edge of the box into the bottom corner. Then the score was made 2-0, thanks to another Gundogan goal nine minutes later, which was almost identical to the first, but in the opposite corner. Leeds had another opportunity with a set-piece header from McKinney, which was well held, held by Edison, but that's about pretty much all we threatened in the first half. The theme of the first half continued with Man City dominating possession in the second half. More chances were created for Haaland, but he continued to be profligate. And a penalty was conceded by Strauch in the 84th minute, which Gundogan took, but hit onto the post. This was followed almost immediately with Rodrigo taking advantage of a mistake by Akanji to rob the ball and finish smartly into the bottom corner. The final 10 minutes or so of the game was spent with Man City keeping hold of the ball and nothing further of note happened other than some time-wasting by Man City all in the corner. And the game ended 2-1. Um, so, was anything I missed out on that, do you think? Sounds mostly fair to me. Yeah, there's not really not much good going from our perspective. <laughs> no. But we'll get into that when we, when we go through the interrogation. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, first of all, in possession, this was statistically one of the worst performances since Opta began collecting records for Leeds United. Just to dive into those stats a little bit, uh, today uh, in this match, Leeds com- attempted the fewest passes, 194, fewest completed passes for 113, fewest completed passes in the opposition half, 41, lowest possession, 18.7%. And this was in, in a league game since Opta has on record around 433 matches. So it's, it was pretty dire. And on top of that, it was also the least XG that we have created this season. So should we just throw our hands up and say, it's City, in it? They're a little good. Or was it because of the way we approached the game? Jacob, what do you think? Well, I would say, obviously, the City factor has to be accounted for. Like That team is incredible in all phases of play in all aspects of play uh, and everything and they have the players with the both the technical ability to execute whatever it is that they're trying to do including like scoring from the edge of the box just at will as well as like the the understanding amongst the team and the t- and their tactics to to move us around and control the game very well but i do think that this is as much indicative of our approach to this game that that we went with Allardyce. It just felt so, so passive and so like, like we weren't even trying to make it a contest in any way. I think, I think John, it, it was someone, I think it was John said in the group chat when the game was happening that it felt like an attack versus defense training drill, especially in the first half. And, and it, there was never really a point where it felt like we were trying to, actively disrupt what Manchester City were doing. Again, especially in this first half, it changed a little bit in the second once they took their foot off the gas a bit. But uh, it's just, we, we sat off them and they they came and, and played their game. And any time we got the ball, then, oh, it was just launched back up towards Bamford, who was who was on his own. 
I, I watched the game back earlier and I was really struck by one moment in the first half, in about the 43rd minute, when Luke Hayling got the ball deep and didn't kick it long, but actually carried it like a good length up the field. Maybe about two thirds up the field, and it actually felt like City had to make some defensive adjustments, and that they had to defend backwards, and and we were bringing men up the field with with Ailing, and that like we lost the ball, but we won it back up high, and it went back into the uh, around zone fourteen. We didn't get anything out of it, but that was like one moment where we actually presented them with something, other than that that one corner that you mentioned, and it it just. It, until the game was far too gone in the second half, we just didn't even seem to try. Yeah, that's that's a very fair analogy. Um, there didn't really seem to be much effort from us to do anything but just try to stop them from scoring. That was mm. literally all we were trying to do was just be as compact as we can, not allow them space. Although, obviously, they're as good as they are, they still found it. Mm. Because that's, just, that's just what Pep does. He, he controls games, he moves teams around, and they'll always find space even when there isn't really much of it to, to be seen by the naked eye. Yeah, I was really struck by like the movement, of, particularly of Rico Lewis and yeah. and Kevin De Bruyne to, to that regard on on the rewatch. Like we um we had Rocker and McKenney quite tightly on Alvarez and and De Bruyne, but the way that particularly Kevin De Bruyne was moving around with Alvarez, not with Alvarez, sorry, with 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 uh, Rico Lewis just really moved Harrison and Rocker around a lot and just created a lot more space. Uh, as you were saying, like finding space where there wasn't some. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, just, it's so difficult to defend against. And I, and I feel like that was just purely the way that we were looking to do it, was just to try to limit the amount of goals that they could score. Mm. And this, even with the moments when we were trying to hit on the counter-attack, it was just, they were generally so hard to do anything with because there was so little support, like you said, at the early for Bamford, because... He tried his best to hold up at times, and sometimes there's no one close to him to even bring it back to, which meant that he couldn't do much with what he was being given. A lot of fans have um, given him grief because of it, and I don't see how he can put blame on him for that half, especially the first half. It was just so difficult for him to do much. Point people make about Bamford having a bad game really frustrates me. Yes, he had a bad game, but on what circumstances could he have a good game? Not those circumstances. I mean, there was mm. there was zero attempt from uh, from either of the wingers or McKenney to join Bamford at any point and try and you know if Bamford wins a knockdown, well, there's no one there to collect the knockdown, mm. so we couldn't even play old fashioned nineties, you know, play up to the target man, knock it down football. There was no one to knock it down too, so there was just there was just zero opportunity for Bamford up against you know probably the best <laughs> centre back in the league at the moment in John Stones and some pretty good secondary ones as well. So it was just you know. Yeah, that's the, the, criticizing Bamford for that performance is pretty ridiculous. I, I yeah. think as well, just from from watching it back, there several of the of the times that we got it up towards him, like the 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 weight uh, of pass or like deflections of the passes up to him, like ended up be, resulting in not being in his favor. There were a couple of times where it was bad touches by him, but I mean, there's always going to yeah. be with with that kind of play. But there were other times when he was hamstrung by the ball that came up to him as well. And and I completely agree with what you've said. What you both said about it, like, and it's it's almost the same as his England appearance against Andorra. Like when you're so like marooned up there by yourself, it's very difficult to have an effect on the game. We know that is one of his strengths when he has caught people who are surrounding him. It's, mm. it's what one best. What usually when he's not doing well in front of the goal directly, he is affecting the game in other ways. But because he didn't even have that little support just to give give him a target for a pass or to give him a, a more measured ball, 
yeah, it's just it was so tough to watch. I mean, Bam- Bamper's not a self-sufficient forward, is he? Even when no. he's playing well and, and is, is a system forward, you know, and if you want to categorise players that way. Yeah, he just, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, You know, he's, he's, we don't really, I mean, probably probably really Nanto is the only self-sufficient forward we've got, really, probably, but, you know, he was stuck out on the wing doing a defensive job, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, did he yeah, make yeah. a Nanto on the right? Um, personally, that I'm, I'm not sure how much, if, if I liked it. It was, it was all right, but I think he's just, he's just so much better on the left, and it's just so... I love him on the left. That's where he is best because because he, he can move the ball inside so well from that, that, that position. It makes it a lot easier for him. Dan, do you want to say something there? Yeah, well, I previously called for Nonto on the right just out of interest, just because I thought well, if Sinister is fit and Nonto's fit, there your best two wingers. Let's see what Nonto can do on the right. Perhaps he can play the orthodox right winger, but no, he can't. I think I think the first time they tried it was way at Everton, and he was he was you know it was, was terrible. Um, so yeah, no, no, I don't like Nanto on the right at all. But whatever, I mean, I think basically left wing or, or number ten, which I think he played against West Ham at home and did a fairly good job. So those would be my two two options for Nanto, basically. Mm. I, I guess I suppose the only other logic to it, particularly in a game like this, is that the the way that Man City moved into their rest defence when they were building up was was having Ake go into like a left of a three and having Nanto on that side maybe keeps him higher up, but like. I agree. I just don't think it, it the role fits him at all and the, the angles that he operates at suit yeah. being others part of the pitch much better. Absolutely. That's all fair. Uh, would, I, would you have preferred us to approach this game a different way, Jacob? From an aesthetic point of view, absolutely. Um, from a practical point of view, to some extent, yes, as well. Like, I think you do have to sort of bear in mind the circumstances of, like, this is a team that's just suddenly had its head coach changed again and what's it doing? It's going to the Etihad. Like, I I understand an approach like this where you ultimately are really playing very percentage football and just, just hoping for luck to fall your way because that's really what it was. But, like, even for just seeing a moment like what I mentioned before in the 43rd minute with Ailing carrying the ball up the wing, like, I do feel like we had to do something that, that like, try to actually change up what was happening on the pitch a bit more compared to just like playing into City's hands with what we were doing. It reminded me um, of, of all games of the first time we played Brighton in the Premier League where Brighton set up, it, it, even though like it, it's nothing like City's, but Brighton set up like really focused in on our, on, on our natural game plan and like try to basically weaponize that um, and like force us to play into Alioski and Dallas at fullback and and really exploit them. And it wasn't until we brought on Pablo, but particularly Tyler Roberts later on in the game, who were willing to drop deep in midfield and give support to the um, to Pascal Strauch, who was deputising for Calvin. That like we were able to really affect the game in, in the second half. And I think it's the same kind of thing here. Like City came in expecting us just to sit deep and lump it away. And and that one moment in the first half where we did seem to actually make some kind of effect on the game um, was when we did something a bit different. And so I would have liked the team to be a little bit braver in, in moments like that and potentially uh, have uh, yeah just tr- put players in positions that accentuated those strengths more. So maybe Nonto on the left from the start as opposed to only going over there later on and even Somerville. For, for more of the game because I think he can have a real impact carrying the ball as well. Yeah, you made some good points there. Um, that it's something which Brighton did most games under Bielsa, right? They took advantage of that of the 
way we played and stopped us from playing that way. And while I don't think we really have the players to be able to do that, I feel that we could have caused them more problems than what we what we tried to. There were a few moments where I think there were, were individuals pressing, and it, and, it, and we could have resulted in the ball being won for, for the pitch and potentially mm. causing moments, especially a moment I remember with Forshaw. I think it was about maybe five, ten minutes into the game, and he ended, ended up giving away a foul. But it's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if if you would have won the ball there where it was, we could have broke quite easily. And if we would just tried to do that kind of things a little bit more, more did I'm not saying go full high press because they'll tear us apart and they can get away get out of most high presses that you see, most different pressing approaches. Mm-hmm. But I felt like we could have tried more than what, what we did do to win the ball higher up. So just, just a little bit more than what we did, not just anything overly aggressive because it, it will get to our power. That's what happens in the previous game. This this season, um, yeah, but, but they really tore us apart in that game. It certainly didn't really feel like there was any kind of coordinated work between them. Like there were there were moments when like Bamford got bypassed, and then he just like almost like stood still, which you never associate with Bamford no, at, all. at all. I do think the general approach was probably the right thing to do. Just to try, mm. try to try to keep things solid and try to stop them from creating space. Um, it's just it's little things that. Um, to, to change for me more than a total change of approach because we couldn't we couldn't do with another hammering with hammering we've had recently. It's something that we need to, to I think try to stop. And even though it wasn't really down to us that we didn't get a hammering, <laughs> it was because Erling Haaland, as I alluded to in the intro, uh, just decided to miss a hat trick of big chances. Uh, he easily could have scored a hat trick in that game without a problem. And then he also gave away a penalty to. Gundogan, which he could have scored as well. Mm. So it's one of those things where, where I think the approach was right, and even though we didn't really do much to affect us not conceding lows, it was still it's just disappointing to see us playing this this kind of football for me. Um, mm. But what were your thoughts on the way we set up our possession? I mean, I'm talking here about the the block around our box. How did you feel that did? I think it's um, to some extent a story of two halves. Although, like neither half were we anything like impenetrable. They fixed a few things in the second, but like in the first half, there were definitely some issues, particularly with Mark Rocker, where he was really falling back a lot into the the first line and creating a back five. Where it when it seemed like his role, and it certainly it, he was doing that when he, we were higher up the pitch was to be closer to Kevin De Bruyne in the same way that McKenney was on Alvarez. But there were then moments once City got the ball into like the final third that he was just falling into this uh, into this line in in the back five. But I don't think he needed to because a lot of the time he was doing this. Like Kevin De Bruyne was quite deep, and it just invited a lot of space in and around the edge of the box. And then for both goals, we see Rico Lewis make a forward run into the box, and Forshaw uh, comes back to to follow him. But there to me there's no reason why in moments like that that Rocker couldn't have just stepped out and and collected the man and let Forshaw protect the edge of the area better. But and it was far from the only times that that happened throughout the first half, but it was a really consistent thing. It was fixed at the in the interval and so like I find it hard to say for sure whether it was like an individual failing or or an intentional thing that they put in place but that clearly just didn't work. But it, it 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 certainly, I think, created a lot more space that City were able to repeatedly enter and and create dangerous moments from. 
Whereas in the second half, the one thing that sort of made it feel better was just that Rocker wasn't falling into that line uh, uh, like at all. And then the same thing was true when Greenwood came on for him in, in about the 60th minute. Those, like I said, those changes didn't like mean that we weren't conceding any more chances, but I think it, it made the spacings between the players better. And it also meant that people were in better positions for then turnovers and not immediately losing possession of the ball. No, that's, that's all very fair points. Um, I, I did notice, it, although we have been doing that thing where uh, Rocker and McKenney have been dropping between the fullback and the centre-back in the past few games, but I felt like it was a lot more mm. pronounced in this game, that it was really a clear thing that we were trying to stop them getting into that half space by getting that body in there as soon as exactly, we can. Yeah. But, but like you said, that was created more space for Adam Forshaw to cover in front of the defensive line. Because you, you, it's not only inside the box that you have to cover, right? You have to cover the space in front of it. Because with how dangerous Man City are with pullbacks, it's just begging for trouble. And although I can see the logic behind what they're trying to do to stop them penetrating that half space, it just it just didn't didn't work well. And so it, yeah, it did improve in the second half uh, to a degree. But also, like putting a body in that half space is useful, right? If there's someone attacking it. But so many times when De Bruyne was like both for both goals, De Bruyne was much further back than like most of City's other players. Like at that point, the body there seems redundant. No, I agree. Uh, Dan, do you have anything on this one? Yeah, I was, I was just I'm just looking at the the xG of each chance. Um, just on on FBRF right now. So first half, Man City had 11 shots that generated xG, and second half seven. So there was something happened where we, we reduced the, the, the number of chances they were getting. But worth pointing out, penalty aside, they only created one big XG chance, and that was the Harlan bomb where he hit the woodwork in the second half. That was a 0.42 chance, and he hit the woodwork. So obviously he got saved by Harlan there. The the two goals come from 0.11 and 0.09. So it was those, those I suppose you could argue that those, those cutbacks with a packed box reduces the XG we're going to face, perhaps. I think, yeah, that's, those are fair points. Um, I think some of those chances, I think FB, FBRF has maybe underrated them a, a little. Um, fair. because yeah. I know that the, the way I think it's Opta that collects the data for FBRF, there's some things which it doesn't quite collect, which other models do. And I know when I was looking at Understat, um, there, I'm not, I'm not sure who it is that collects Understat. I think it might be Stats Bomb. Um, but they that they had, there's three chances in total for Howland, which were more than the 0.3 big chance modifier, yeah. I think. So, yeah. I th- so I, I think, and especially with a player like Howland, yeah, you, you have to consider even 0.2 to be a big chance <laughs> because mm, yeah. this season, especially, he's just been on fire. But yeah, I mean, he had one, one chance in the first half that was 0.23, and he turned it into a 0.28, and it was saved by Melier. So that was the on the 17 minute, according to this. So we had that one and then the, the big chance in the second half. So I, you, you could argue that the, 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 the approach worked. We gave Man City a lot of small chances rather than, you know, uh, making rather than giving up a lot of space where they could create a lot more big chances, um, whether you think that's a valid method or not. But I think that's possibly what happened. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely something that's... Um, I think that's true. And we got... A, well, I think we touched on a little bit more in a question to follow in, in the running order. But... I guess the, the the thing I would throw into a discussion like that is just it's the difficulty is that it's Man City and they've got players of the technical quality to turn yeah. those chances into goals as well. If we're not um, really switched on and 
like e- even at the point of the cutbacks, I still feel like there's like the players could have reacted quicker. And I'm sure you can say that about any goal, yeah. but like it's it's a team where you have to be so hyper alert for if you're going to play football like this. I think especially where since there'd already been a goal scored in that manner, and then the the, the same thing happens yeah, yeah. that they should have been more alert to that, and yeah. they should have seen that they were giving up too much space around that area. And it's that's been a consistent thing most of the season. I feel that we've we've always when we drop back deep, we all the players go back too deep, and there's not enough people who are defending the edge of the box, and we have given up a lot of chances in that, in that sort of manner. Um, but since we have been talking about the XG, I might as well move on to that question now, actually. So if you look purely at non-penalty XG, Man City put up 2 XG. And in the previous fixture, they generated 4.16. So that is a pretty big differential, especially when you consider that the previous game was at Elland Road and this one was at Etihad. So away from home, we stopped the weave. They generated half as much XG. So did you see a little down to the way we set up? Do you think this, does that really give us something to be happy about that we did limit them to a lot less than what we did in the previous game? Or do you think it's more about the style of the, both the managers that, that we've got, which will influence it more than anything? Jacob? I feel like sort of both of those things can be true um, almost at the same time. I, I, I must admit, I don't remember this the game against City especially well, uh, perhaps a little too merry over Christmas time. Um, <laughs> but um, like... The, the, the approach that we have under the managers that have followed Jesse Marsh is obviously has obviously been a lot less open with um, just generally being uh, smaller blocks, uh, smaller, uh, lower blocks compared to being more pressy and adventurous uh, out of possession. And I feel like that is just something that will inherently bring with it fewer like really high XG char- XG chances and we'll do like what Dan was just saying a minute ago about maybe they'll have more shots. I don't know which, which game had more shots in it, but those shots might individually be lower, lower XG chances. I've just looked up the data from the, the Ellen road game. So they generated what was it, four point something. This again, this is FB ref. So take it, you know, take that with a pinch of salt, but mm. um, Man City generated three big chances at Ellen road. And then there were two, two, two chances that were almost big chances, like a 0.29 and a 0.27. So, Three big chances and two almost big chances. Um, and they had way more overall chances. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to count them up, but <laughs> I was, I was, uh, a lot more chances. <laughs> it didn't take me a while to count them up. So the Jesse Marsh approach gave up more XG overall and gave up more big chances compared to some other Allardyce approach. Yeah, so in, in that respect, in that respect, I think you can say that the approach did limit them to less XG and less big chances overall. Um, but also, if you look in its perspective of, the, of that previous game um, where, where they created 4.3 XG, we, we, we conceded three goals from that, and that's the highest amount of XG which the City have put up this season. That is the most they've put up in the Premier League. They've only, they've only created the same as that in a uh, Champions League group stage match against FC Copenhagen. And, that, and in, that ga- in that game, they scored five goals. It's going to be pros. <laughs> and, and also, um, in the Champions League as well, they created 4.2 XG against RB Leipzig. <laughs> and they, they, and did you want to guess how many goals RB Leipzig conceded? Four, seven, seven goals they conceded from that amount. So, just put, put, when teams do create that that much XG, there's usually a lot more goals involved yeah. with it. So, I think we probably got off easier with the scoreline being three-one in that previous game. But anyway, we're diverting a bit away from um, the question. I feel. Um, 
But even even taking this into account, can we really celebrate that this limiting them to chances when we only created 0.2 XG ourselves, which is the lowest amount of XG we've created in this game? Jacob? I think that there is an argument to do it against Manchester City that I wouldn't necessarily extend to almost any other game. Personally, I still probably wouldn't. I, I came away from the game with a very negative feeling. I think I tweeted something like, if we play like this, we'll just be relegated. Um, but I do see the argument to sort of take the the City game as a game against the, this 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 team who are so accomplished. Um, yeah. As like something where it was always going to be very limited chances for us, and if we were going to put something away, it would be smash and grab. But like for me, it raises concerns about will we see something like this going forward, and will the team approach in possession play differently against Newcastle, Tottenham, and West Ham? Yeah. And, and and I think that's the real overriding emotion more than celebration is just being nervous no that's understandable if we do approach the next game that we've got in a similar manner then yeah we deserve to go down we deserve to go down and yeah (laughs) so i will be more more concerned i i I do think that we can celebrate the reduction in cities actually and also denounce the lack of creativity at the same time um Mm. it's not mutually exclusive. You can no. be happy and, and not happy about different aspects of the performance. Uh, Dan, did you have something to say on this? Well, my, my worry is that we've, we've seen with Leeds, haven't we, the moment they can have open out in, re, you know, under Grassi particularly it was an issue where they open out and then become very vulnerable on the, on, you know, on counter attack on, in transitional moments. Um, so I worry that Allardyce isn't the guy to fix that. So, you know, we, we will step out against Newcastle and we will step out more against West Ham. You know, they have to, there's no, there's no choice. Um, so I worry about the, the that 2xG becoming a bigger number against probably lesser teams, but the lesser teams that, that are particularly good on the counter. And, you know, Newcastle, West Ham and Tottenham are all pretty good transitional teams, actually. Mm, um, yeah. Relative, you know, and particularly, I mean, Tottenham and West Ham are particularly, that's their strength, isn't it? And Newcastle are becoming a fairly good all-round team, really. Um, so I do worry about that element, that we will have to step out and, and perhaps that 2xG is... I'm going to say inflated. It's deflated by the low block and the bodies in the way of the shots against Man City, but that that won't be the case against Newcastle to the same extent. So there's going to be a balancing act, isn't, isn't there? Really, and we've got to maybe, you know, hope game state or something comes to our rescue. But <laughs> in, in that yeah, respect. and like without fast forwarding to the to the Newcastle preview, but um, like Allardyce in the press conference today talked about like we want to win this game against Newcastle, and yeah. and that is indicative of that that approach, and therefore the concerns that you've just raised. Yeah, that's fair. And I'll come to you, Dan, with this one. Uh, despite how bad we looked, the scoreline still ended only 2-1, so only a one-goal differential. What can we take from this result? Do you think this will impact the remaining games? Um, uh, my hope is and um, is that the that it just... That, that... There was a better feeling around the place, wasn't there? After the after the game, the fan, you know, the fans seemed to be in good voice. The players all came together and applauded the fans. The general vibe on social media was they battled really hard there. Mm. I mean, it's bullshit, but <laughs> it was, you know, <laughs> but it but it was it was there, and you know, and a lot of motivation is bullshit. Let's be frank, you know, a lot of it is. And if if the players can use that, if our guys can use that, you know, um, somehow, and and we get something to protect against Newcastle, then perhaps 
um, perhaps it works for us. So yes, I do feel like the the mood has changed a little bit for Allardyce. I do. I said in the previous podcast, I think Allardyce has a reputation of being quite a good man manager, quite a clever operator in that respect, pulling players to one side, helping them, cheering them up. You know, his ex ex, ex players of Allardyce always talk about what a good guy is, what a good man manager is, what a good one on one guy is. Now we know he's a tactical dinosaur, and we know like you know there are question marks about the man's morals and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but but in terms of bringing the group together. Yeah, I think he might succeed in that, and I think he could spin the way the game ended. Albeit, you know, we we took a chance off a off a Man City mistake. It wasn't for our own creation, really. There was a happy feeling, and hopefully, he can spin that and use that into the next game. Perhaps we start well against Newcastle, nick a goal, the fans get up. All of a sudden, Aldice is winning. You know, that that's that's the hope. But it's it's built on sand, isn't it? It's built on sand. It's built on bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a very good point. It, it doesn't really matter whether it's a reality or not that we did battle hard and made Man City yeah. fight for the, in, in the final bit of the game. What matters is, in general, the fans are more positive, which is, ma- is massive. Because if you've got the fans on side, that, that should hopefully boost the players uh, because yeah. it's, it's spoken about how often how big the, the fans are in, in, in games football. And they were getting, getting pretty sour, I think, towards the end of Javi Gracia's reign. So I, I, I do think that that could well galvanise them a little bit. Um, so we will take whatever little we can get. Uh, Jacob, do you have anything to add on this? Just echo what you guys have said, really. Um, yeah. That's cool. Okay, uh, I think that's everything for the interrogation. So we'll move on. I'll oh, just quickly before that, I apologise that we didn't take any listener questions in today, but we really didn't get that many questions off you guys today. Um, and the ones that we did get, we felt that like was covering with the questions that we've got. So apologies. And then some of them anyway. were like sort of like broader picture questions as well, which I feel like we'll uh, we'll get to in um, uh, other, other other points when we have a more wider focus in in whatever podcast it is we're doing. Yeah, in the, in the summer we'll be doing ones. So there's some questions on the managerial options for when we go down or when we stay up and. Um, there's not really too much point discussing that until we know where we are. So in the summer, mm-hmm. we will be we will be putting together some pods up which are purely focused on managers we can look at for, and then where we are, and then we'll know if we're if we're going to be in the, in the Premier League or back in the Championship. So yeah, Dan's doing his best to apply coming in coaching gear to this this recording. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. You can't see see Dan here, but he's, he's wearing uh, well, what what club is it that you coach for? It's the first Falcons under twelve. Falcons under twelve. So he's got a big badge yeah. up there. He's, he's trying to shove it in our faces. That yeah. he's, he's not perfect. Got DH on there as well. He look, it's, yeah. it, it looks good, but it's not representing. Personalized training wear. Yeah, only yeah. the best for first Falcons. Not representing Leeds, and I'm wearing red, so I'm I'm also in the bad books. The only one who is wearing Leeds is Jacob. So Jacob wins extra points for that. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We'll move now on to the Newcastle preview. Um, we'll come to you on this one, Dan, because I know you've got a spouse who is a Newcastle fan, so you watch a fair bit of Newcastle. So how are Newcastle playing I, I do. at the moment under Eddie, Eddie Howe? Are they as good as they look? So, yeah, basically, in short, they are, but um, not without areas to be got at. So, you Ooh. know, I think they're, they're a strong team. So what I'll say is they, they typically line up in a 4-3-3. That's been solid all season. Um, they've actually got quite a tight squad. And what I mean by that is they've got they've only got 14 players with over 1,000 minutes this year. Now, compared to Leeds, Leeds have 17 and nearly 18 Sinisteras and 900, I think. So... Um, so they've got a very, very settled team and, you know, they've not used many players. Um, the five players with the most minutes are the keeper in the back four. So that's very settled. The next four are Bruno Guimaraes, I think that's how you say it, Longstaff, Joe Linton and Willock. So basically the, the defence goalkeeper and the, the main midfielders make up the, 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 the most of their minutes um, and the forward line kind of tends to rotate quite a bit. So they're a very settled team. They, you know, they obviously, you know, very well drilled, very, very well settled. Um the team that they played last week was Pope and Goal, Trippier right back, Shaw Botman centre halves, Burn left back, Willow, Bruno, and Joe Linton with the midfield three, with Murphy, Wilson, and Isaac as the front three. I think, from what I can gather in terms of injuries and availability, that's probably how they'll line up against Leeds. Um, um, I mean, I think ideally for Newcastle, Longstaff would be fit. Um, because I think with a Willock and Bruno and Joe Linton midfield, it leaves them quite light in terms of defensive stability. And, you know, they're all very much, well, Joe Linton and Willock are very much kind of attacking eights, if you like, and Bruno will sit deep, but none of them are particularly strong defensively, I wouldn't say. Um, the forward line has changed more than any other part of the team this season. So early on, we had Almiron as the main guy in the right, and there's a kind of a bit of a goal threat, but he's been kind of out of the team recently. I think he got injured and lost his place. They've had Alan St. Maximum has played on both wings. They've had uh, Joe Linton has been a winger at various points. Uh, at the moment, they're using Isaac as a left winger, um, which I probably think is less than optimal. I think they'll probably prefer to play Isaac as a centre forward. Um, so that's kind of how they'll line up, I think. Um, in terms of the way they build up the ball, this is quite interesting. So in, in settled possession, uh, Trippier is more of a winger than a, than a right back. What it'll be is the Dan Byrne, who's kind of like a, he'll kind of tuck along and, and become like a left centre back and, and a back three with the other two guys, and, and, they'll, and, and they'll kind of play a back three in kind of rest defence situations. And Trippy will really push up high on the right. Um, and Trippy, like I say, effectively becomes a right winger, and much of their kind of uh, creativity comes from Trippy. I think he's made the most chances in the Premier League this year by Opterak, I forget now. So, you know, really, really. Uh, a lot of output comes from Trippier. Uh, Bruno and Longstaff tend to drop deep and kind of assist in the build-up. Um, I think without Longstaff, a lot of that falls onto Bruno against Arsenal at the weekend. I noticed it was all on him and Arsenal were really kind of pressing and triggering, you know, using him as a trigger point to press, put him in a lot of pressure. I don't think he's actually very fit at the moment. I think he's waiting for a surgery post-season, so that's uh, handy for Leeds. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, he had a bad game against Arsenal, actually. And generally, according to the wife, he's not played well for a few weeks, so... By his standards, he's a superb player, but by his high standards, um, the eights, uh, particularly Willock and Joe Linton, the the, the the very dynamic box-to-box type game wingers, and they will drift wide and combine with the wingers and the fullbacks. Um, so that's something they will do. So a lot of their attacks will be like combination play with Trippier and and and, and say uh, Joe Linton drifting out to the white, the, the right hand side, or whoever it is. Um, very dribbly, a lot of dribbly boys. I've got here Joe Linton and Willock, 
good ball carriers, Alan City Maximum and, and Isaac are the superb dribbles of the ball. So, you know, a lot of good ball carriers there. Um, and one thing I've noticed of late, having watched them most of the season, is they're getting quite direct now. They're playing quite direct football these days. You know, not against a big pump, a big dangle ball from um, from Shaw, like a big dangle out to the left wing. You'll often see Joe Linton or, or Willock going out there to help the winger collect the ball and then use that as a base, base point to then attack from. Um, in terms of where they're dangerous. I mean, the classic goal for much of the season was Trippier, Almir and combination on the right with a cutback to Willock, Joe Linton, no, the centre forward, you know, the back stick type thing. Um, that's gone a bit now, like I say, with Almir on being out of the team, but, you know, we'll see. Um, I think they've been playing Jacob Murphy recently. He was more of an orthodox right winger. He'll try and get around the outside and put a lot of crosses in. They are very, uh, you know, cross-heavy team. So that's definitely had the play. In terms of Defensive shape, uh, fairly uniform, sort of 4 5 1, 4 3 3 kind of defensive shape. They just fall back into that shape. Uh, they're quite pressy. I think they had pretty low PPDA numbers when I looked them up, sort of fifth and sixth most intense in the league. You know, it's a, one of the more intense teams. Um, one thing I've noticed is the they tend to be super aggressive for like kind of short spells. So they might go really hard for the first 20 minutes of a game, really try and get an advantage, get a goal up, and then they might. Um, ease back and throttle that a little bit and then they'll maybe have a big hard spell in the second half for 20-30 minutes and then, then, then row back. My presumption is that is a management squad management, fatigue management tactic rather than rather than um, anything else. Um, and they often press in a two, kind of 2-4-2 two, two shape. So one of the eights will, will step up to the front three and make it a four and they'll really try and like force the opposition to go long um, simply because Newcastle, they're a big backline and they'll, with any long ball, they'll win that straight away and then they can build from there. So I think their pressing is more about winning the ball back in, in an open transitional state, you know, from the halfway line to go from there rather than it being kind of winning the ball back in a Gagan pressing style that like Jesse Marsh wanted to do. Um, so that's, yeah, generally speaking, that's how they play and that's that's kind of how I expect them to set up. Very good. Very comprehensive, Dan. Thank you Thank very you. much for that. And we'll come to you for the next one, um, Jacob, about Leeds. Uh, you see many differences between uh, how we set up on the, against Man City, like shape and tactics-wise, rather than personnel. I guess like the the thing that I'm struck by um, most. Um, well, I, I, maybe if we start with personnel, um, Allardyce talks about having changes in the team mm-hmm. in the press conference today. I've no idea how honest he's being, but taking him at face value changes implies multiple uh, robin cock coming in after being uh, like ha- having a, a, a knock in the week seems yeah. like an obvious one the question to me then becomes where where a second change might be and an immediate question is up front because there's been all this uh, like all this talk um, and, and clamor in the media like like particularly like through like Phil Hayes um output in the week about talking about oh you've got to get Rodrigo into the team he's the goal scorer and and like I I I do agree that it is very useful having him on the pitch as to whether like he should be up front it's um, it's it's hard to say. It's whether you feel like Bamford's attributes are going to be really important. But as as Dan said, like it's a big backline, and if if we're going to play deep again, it is having a guy trying to do hold up play actually worth worth even having in the team, or do you just want to prioritize having someone who 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 is a better finisher but a less good player in in the moments that we're clearing the ball long? So so certainly in personnel, I I feel like that that's. That that's an area up for discussion. I'm not. I'm not really convinced that there's there's many other places where you'd look to make a change. I feel like Harrison is the kind of player that a manager is always going to keep in the team. There's not really other midfielders uh, apart from Aronson, um, who 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 is someone who may be worth bring um, bring in. 
Um, and you're probably always going to want to have someone like Nonto in the team as well. But uh, Dan, do you want to leap in here? I, I wondered, um, and I've wondered this about Allardyce before, is that, well, the way Rocco was substituted, I mean, his, his form has been patchy of late, fair enough. Mm. I wonder if he's a particularly Allardyce player. And I think, he, obviously, he, he, he went for Greenwood, and Allardyce is going to value set pieces, isn't he? So I wonder if um, Greenwood might get a look in, maybe not from the start, but you might see Greenwood subbed in for Rocker again. Again, if we're chasing the game or we're looking to hurt Newcastle with a set piece, um, that might be something that happens. I mean, I don't know who else you would bring in. I mean, JB perhaps, but JB's probably playing, isn't he, on Monday? The 21s, under 21s in their final. So, yeah, so yeah, that's the only the other part, the only other position I can think of is Rocker. I think maybe another one that we could see is possibly Somerville. Um, for Fernando, that's one that uh, he has been playing re- well when he's been playing recently at Somerville, and so that that's one other thing that I could see. Um, regards to the where we look to set up, I personally don't see it being much different, at least shape wise. I think it'll probably still, as long as Farshaw is able, I think it will probably be a three man midfield. Possibly they could, if Farshaw isn't fair enough, I think they may opt for either Greenwood or even Aronson. He does like to have um, for for the one of the two eights above the six. He does like to have players who can run with the ball. Uh, for, when he had when he managed West Brom, he had Gallagher and Maitland Niles as those two roles. So you can see Aronson kind of playing like the Gallagher role. Um, obviously, Gallagher is a much better footballer, um, but <laughs> that's not really the, the question here. Well, I feel like that makes sense. Uh, like with regard to what. Dan has put in the notes around um, feeling like we could maybe counter behind the midfield, who, as, as you said, aren't necessarily most defensively adept, like uh, and doing that centrally. Aronson may be a better player to do that than Rocker, for example, in a game like this, where he, it's that's just not no, his skill set at all. That, that's true. I think it is something which we could try to look to get get at. Um, especially if if they do play the two more attacking eights, like Dan mentioned there, if they do play them, those if um, Longstaff isn't fit enough to play and they do they do have to play them, that could be something which we could get some joy from. Um, so, where is it that you think that we can hurt them, uh, Dan? I'll come to you on this. Yeah, well, this is thank thank uh, Mrs H for this one, but she she said they're not very good at set pieces. So we've looked it up, and of their twenty nine goals conceded in the Premier League, seven are from corners. Or as a result, hmm. or, or off, off a second phase of a corner. Now I've not had a chance to really, really double check that, but it feels about right actually. So I think that just there is a, despite the size of them, and you know you would expect Bottman and, and, and Dan Burn, the biggest man in the Premier League, to to handle aerial <laughs> aerial threats. There's, there's perhaps something not quite right there. So and I think Leeds have had some fairly good corner routines of late. Um, so I think that's something we could do. We could hurt them at corners. I think you know some of our centre halves. Uh, McKenny, that kind of stuff, could attack them. Um, like I say, if Greenwood comes on, his delivery is okay. Rocker's delivery has been fairly good recently, so I do, I do think that's potentially something to hurt them from. And I think counter pressing on Bruno, um, if he is not fully fit, Arsenal definitely targeted him the other day. Now Arsenal obviously way better than Leeds, but there's definitely potential to nick the ball off Bruno, and then there'll be space in behind him to run at those centre halves. Um, they are good centre halves, but you know if we can get get on them in, in good numbers, we could hurt them. Um, I'd yeah. be less inclined to go for wing-playing crosses because I just think in open play, I think they'll, they'll just dominate Bamford or, or Rodrigo. So I would look to create kind of central transitional moments and set pieces is going to be the two areas. Like set pieces is always something we know that Allardyce puts a lot of stock in. And it was interesting as well to see in the Man City game, 
um, yep. long throws again. Yeah, uh, mechanic from, uh, from mechanic someone. Went. By the way, where has that come from? Well, why haven't we seen that yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and like that, I like if executed right, can have a similar impact to corners, uh, as we know. Unless Rafinha's taking the throws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never forgive him for that one, Marsh. Never forgive him. Well, I still can't never believe forget. that happened. Um, but that but one. but yeah, I, I I completely agree with Dan. Like, I I just can't see the utility in in, in crossing in in a game in a game like this, and particularly like. When we're not going to have lots of bodies in in the box, like when if if we're breaking, like it just it just doesn't make any sense. At yeah, all. I'd agree with that. And for what it's worth, I, 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 I do think that uh, Allardyce's teams don't primarily look to only score from crosses. Uh, if he has got someone who is a quite quite efficient target man, then he will look mm. to use him. Um, but especially the West Brom side that he had, that they were creating a lot from dribbling into the box and passing rather than crossing. And I think that probably became their maybe their best player in attacking moments was um, Matthias Pereira. So I think yeah. that that probably works into it that he'll he'll try to use what his team has got to score goals rather than forcing oh for sure to go to cross constantly. Yeah, because he had people like Hal Robson Carnu up front. Yeah, and like again, not just not a target man at all. So yeah, and and I guess that plays in as well to like if if he's thinking about who he plays up front. Yeah, maybe that's another reason to consider playing Rodrigo instead yep. of Bamford. On the um, Bamford and Rodrigo situation, I, I would be fine if Rodrigo did start. I do think that he does definitely deserve a start, and I think in this game, it's his what he doesn't give. What sorry, what Bamford gives, which he doesn't give, won't be as much of an issue in this game. I, I feel, and I think there's different areas that we can look to. Get, bring into play. Try to try to use the players in the wide spaces, and if we can get someone dribbling from central areas, that could also help us. So I think there are other ways that we can do it. And Rodrigo Hoding would be fine. Um, but just a quick note on the situation with Bamford. Bad way, just um, the way he's been hounded off social mm. media. Um, I haven't, I didn't put anything on that in the interrogation, but I just wanted to say how disgusted I was in that situation because. The, the guy has put his body on the line time and time again. He's probably shortened his career with the way he's been forced himself to come back from injury. Yeah, and yeah, he's he's, he's not had a good season. I, I can admit he's not had a good season, but it still doesn't mean that you can throw abuse his way in, in that sort of manner. None of the people saying he should man up and all this—that's just fucking bullshit. <laughs> what what <laughs> frustrates me is, 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 is the fail compilations and the kind of obviously the direct messages to yeah. the guy and tagging him in. Like we all have conversations about players and talk about our frustrations. That's fine. That's the pub conversation online, isn't it? But if the yeah. whole kind of you know we can all we can all talk about how Rodrigo's hold up plays terrible or whatever, and we shouldn't shy away from that. We shouldn't shy away from having strong opinions about our team. But don't just don't create content to make a player look bad like a fail compilation, don't message people directly, don't tag in the owner about a crap striker in your team. It's just, you know, I can't believe I'm having to say this. There's a real, you know, there's a difference between having a conversation and a robust conversation about the qualities of a player and, and, and that stuff. And, and it's just as much like the timing as well, isn't it? Like, this is a time mm-hmm. where, and like, I realise it's a bit of a trope and whatever, but like, we do need unity like yep. like we like there's enough things going against us already that like one thing we don't need to do is like to really piss off and alienate like a, a, an important member of of the team and of the leadership yep. group 
exactly. It's not really going to do his his confidence any good. I mean, I'm hoping he can he can use it to spur him spur himself on, and maybe we get another moment where he um, puts his hands over his ears or that celebration <laughs> that we had a while back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if something like that did happen, then I will be all for yeah, it. Yeah. Stamford should do that with whatever he's got. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to, to quickly get something out about that because mm, yeah, it good point. did annoy me and it was embarrassing. But yes, on to the next part. So how do you think this game will play out? Then? Well, like I say, Newcastle have this tendency to go really hard for a, for a spell. So against Arsenal, they went really hard for the first 15, maybe 20 minutes. I, I would expect they'll probably do the same to us. So I imagine they'll probably really try and steamroll us in the first, first 20 minutes and go hard, really intense. You know, high press really forces to go long and win the ball and come back at us hard. So I think the, the key for Leeds is probably going to be to weather that storm, and if we can, um, and get something on the counter against them, that's that's how it'll go. If you know, if, if they break through any doors, then then I fear for us. Um, so that's that's how it's going to start for sure, and I think probably the same will happen after the second half. They'll probably come out after half time and go hard at us again. Um, Newcastle will certainly have more of the ball. Will almost certainly have more of the ball than us. They tend to be fairly ball dominant against most teams um, these days. Um, like I say, they do play fairly direct, but they're very good at winning it back and going again and going again. So it's a bit like like the direct in the way that Bielsa was direct. You know, that was quite a direct system, but it was still ball dominant. Um, so I think they'll pin us back and they'll try and, and they'll, we'll probably see a lot of cutback chances, a bit like we did against Man City. So I think that's a Newcastle um, tactic anyway. I think they like those deep cutbacks, um, you know, from from by the byline. Um, particularly if Almiron plays and you know, the way he created and, and with players like Willock and Joe Linton arriving from midfield, they're pretty dangerous shooters from the edge of the box. So, you know, that is that is the one way they will hurt us or they'll, they'll look to hurt us. So, you know, I think we might see some of the same type of chances that Man City created against us, against Newcastle with the way they play, but hopefully fewer. Do you think there's a chance that this game could play out in a similar way to the last game did, where we really did in that game, under Marsh, actually, we did, we did sit in a lot more than normal in that game, and we did frustrate them a lot. I, I, I felt that we did frustrate that their normal attacking quite quite well, and their players were getting quite visibly frustrated by it. Do you think that? Could yeah, this has been it's been it's been in the news this week with Newcastle and Arsenal, isn't it? The Newcastle complaining about Arsenal time yeah. wasting, <laughs> which is pretty rich. And I think, to be fair, Allardyce commented on it today and just said, "Well, we all do it when we're leading." Um, yeah, I think so. I think I think there's a good chance, especially if we have a lead, we'll see that. I think. Um, I certainly think Leeds will be shithousing their way through the game as much as they possibly can. They'll, look in, they'll be looking to wind some of the hot-headed players Newcastle have got, and they do have some hot-headed players. Bruno Guimaraes is quite hot-headed. Um, Joe Linton gets involved, gets, gets lots of yellow cards. Um, Trippier as Trippier, well. I yeah. think he can get quite high. Yeah, yeah. Sense. And what's the guy they got from Everton? It looks like... Um, Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon. Yeah, if he plays, he's, hot head. Yeah, he's Gordon, absolutely yeah. a hot-head. So I think we could wind them up. Um and we, so it could be, it'd be a card-heavy game, I would think. I, I can see a lot of yellow cards going around. I don't think we're shy when it comes to that stuff either. So. <laughs> nope, certainly yeah. not. Certainly so, not. Yeah. Be, yeah, I can see a lot of cards yeah. as well. And finally, where will this game be won or lost? I'll come to you with this one, Jack, actually. I haven't come so much recently. It was nearly we haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Close. I'll, I'll do that next time. I nearly said rest in peace, Tom Alderson, but yeah. like, I, I don't know why he's not dead, <laughs> to my knowledge. Uh, sorry, Tom. Um, anyway, uh, what was the question again? Where would it be won or lost? Um, <laughs> it's been too long since I've been on this podcast. Um, I think, like as Dan was alluding to, like the the weathering of the storm in the in the intense moments is 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 a really key point for me. And I mean, I, I think that there are 
ways in which having a sort of more compact block is is useful in moments like this because like their the individual quality of of those players as like passers isn't necessarily as high with the exception of Bruno uh as as like the players man city had out for example and if 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 we can here i am loving some analysis football uh if we can um <laughs> Like keep the spaces better and like make sure players are passed on properly uh, in in ways that we we weren't always doing. Then we we do have the chance to to create those moments uh, where where we can hit them and 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 do do something from that. But I I do think it it is those those moments where that they'll be on us a lot more intensely that will really determine the just like the way that the game goes from that because the last thing you want to be doing against a team who's we've got people like Alan St. Maximan amongst the playing staff is like f- pushing forward in desperation because like they'll just kill you. No, totally agree with that. Dan, do you have anything, anything on this one? Yeah. Yeah, I think Jacob raised a really good point there. Newcastle not specific, not particularly for the level. They're not a particularly technical team. Um, you know, they're quite an effort boy team, aren't they? A lot of, like big transitional players and that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously Bruno Guimaraes is is very technically good, and Isaac and Trippier are technical players. But you wouldn't necessarily call Willock and, and Joe Linton and Jacob Murphy. I suppose that, Jacob Murphy, Alan St. Maximum. Yeah, these are kind of guys that you know they burst into kind of open spaces and, and whip a ball across, aren't they? Type players rather than kind of you're not going to see lots of intricate kind of little um, nice little moves that break through a, a pack defence so it might well be we'll see but it might well be that that, uh, that kind of low block might frustrate them for long periods um, so yeah yeah that's that's the hope anyway yeah I can see that and also you'd ha- you imagine that their um, rest defence may not be as solid as what Man City is generally is <laughs> so hopefully we can hit them more in transition um, but yeah um, yep. it's been great I think that's everything so we will be back next time with a review of the match and I'll just quickly say thank you for coming on Jacob oh it's been it's been a real pleasure to be back thanks for having me yeah it's been great having you back I hope so hope to see you back again soon well we've got the season review um, of all the oh, pre-season yes. predictions to do I'll be back to try and reclaim my title from last year oh yeah well, we'd love to have you on for that that's, that's fantastic and I'll say thank you also to Dan no always mate it's been a pleasure yeah indeed and dear listener um, thank you for joining us and enjoy the game and have a great week Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 